everyone. We are back for our ESPN Formula One podcast. Alexis Dune is here with Nate Saunders and Lawrence Edmondson, as per usual. No Juan Manuel Correa with us today. And actually, it's a bit of a break day. So a light kind of pod coming your way where we kind of revisit some of the earlier predictions that we had made um, for the start of the season once we found out that we did have a season and just kind of look back and get, you know, the guys' opinion on what they've liked so far, what they hate so far, who surprised them so far, um, and and maybe challenge them to give us some more predictions if they're not too afraid after their first predictions kind of went, you know, belly up. But anyways, guys, another little break for us this time around. So how's everyone still feeling, still drunk off of the excitement that was Sochi? <laughs> drunk's one way of putting it i think whatever whatever you get after you've been drunk you know like a three-day hangover i think i'm in the midst of that i'm still i'm still having nightmares from when jm told us about this canned chicken and hearing both nate and lawrence's and his experiences there i don't think it was the best um the sochi tourist board definitely will not be thanking us anytime soon put it that way neither will probably valtteri bottas but it's okay we go again right <laughs> So like I said, we're going to look back at some of the exciting moments that the guys have liked so far, some of the ones that they didn't like. But as usual, we like to pay off some of the news. And there was a bit of um, breaking news this week, just yesterday, so to speak, where we found two F2 drivers, or it was announced that two F2 drivers will be making F1 debuts and getting some action in Germany. And one of them that, of course, tugs on the heartstrings because we know it is Mick Schumacher. So to see the Schumacher name back out there in a Formula One car definitely gets us all excited. Lawrence, I mean, I'll go to you for details on this one. Um, and how, I guess, how did you take the news? It was kind of expected for some, wasn't it? So Mick Schumacher is going to be in the Alfa Romeo for first practice at the Nürburgring. And Callum Eilat is going to be in the Haas. Uh, those are the two leaders in Formula Two. So um, regardless of who they're associated with, regardless of their surnames, uh, they should really both be in the running for a promotion to Formula One next year. But of course, the Schumacher name carries that little bit of extra weight. And uh, both of those drivers are backed by the Ferrari Driver Academy. Um, us is Robert Schwartzman, who's currently fifth in the standings and will get an outing in Abu Dhabi in first practice. So it's looking like Ferrari and Alfa Romeo are weighing up their options uh, as to who they bring in next year. Because... Uh, one of those seats at Alfa Romeo is essentially a Ferrari-owned seat. It's currently occupied by Antonio Giovinazzi, uh, who is also a member of the Ferrari Driver Academy. And really, Ferrari are looking at, well, you know, Giovinazzi's had his two years. Has he impressed that much? He certainly improved this year, but when you've got the likes of Schumacher sat there in F2, a name like that, there is a temptation to bring him up. And at the moment, Schumacher is performing incredibly well in F2. He's done this same trend that he had in Formula 3, if anyone watched him there, where he started off um, looking a little bit average. And then all of a sudden, in the second half of uh, his championship year, he just kind of bolted upwards and uh, got a series of uh, quite remarkable results. Um, and a similar thing is happening in F2. But he has been consistent throughout F2, but now he's just kind of putting together some of those victories and he's leading the championship. So that's what it's about. It's about looking at who gets promoted for next year. It's about trying to help the talent in F2 uh, make the jump. We don't always see that. Nick De Vries was the championship uh, winner last year. He didn't get up into Formula 1. So it's good to see that there's serious consideration of F2 talent in Formula 1 next year. Nate, how do you take the news? Yeah, I think when you said tugging at the heartstrings, I think that's a good way of looking at it for Schumacher. And the Nürburgring seems like a good place for his debut. Michael won there five times 
when it hosted the European Grand Prix, back in the good old days when the European Grand Prix was actually in Europe, not in Azerbaijan. Um, so yeah, it's 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 really cool. And I mean, this is where I suppose the interest, you know, I know that there's three guys who are getting these seats, but really the main interest I think will be around Schumacher, just given his name, given the kind of, I guess it's a romantic story if he does make it to Formula One next year. Um, yeah, and I mean, Lawrence covered it perfectly. He's been doing really well recently in, in Formula Two, so it's great to see him get that opportunity. And you feel for him in a way because the name alone is a bit like Bruno Senna. Like It's almost like he's set up to, to fail just because I don't think he can ever come close to matching people's expectations of that name. But he's just got to kind of focus on forging out his own career path at this point. Um, it'd be great to see him next year. I'd, I'd much rather Schumacher on the grid than, than Giovinazzi. I feel like Giovinazzi's had a couple of years, hasn't really done enough to kind of warrant staying around. Maybe, I don't know, Kimi, Kimi is not confirmed beyond... Uh, this season but we'll see what happens yeah I agree and it wasn't that long ago that um, I think Ross Braun was saying that the F2 champions should automatically get a place in Formula 1 now of course with contracts and stuff like that with independent teams you can't really guarantee that but if Schumacher does go and win this or if Ilot goes and wins it then uh, I think they really do deserve um, a shot in Formula 1 you know I do like to see that when when uh, drivers get promoted up um, just as a side note, I was actually there when Schumacher made his F1 debut in the Bahrain test uh, last year. And that was a really emotional moment because that was with Ferrari. So a lot of the mechanics who had worked on Michael's car were all of a sudden working with Mick. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a kind of an intense moment, I think, for everyone there. The weird thing was is that we're in Bahrain. It actually rained. So a lot of the running wasn't really that useful or they couldn't go out because they had this horrible mix of dust and rain on the track, uh, which so rarely happens in Bahrain. But anyway, um, so it's not Schumacher's debut as well, we should say, in a Formula 1 car. He has been in a Formula 1 car before, but it's his debut at a race weekend. And uh, in front of 20,000, hopefully, fans at the Nürburgring, that, that could be something to, uh, something to enjoy and savour. And what always gets me with him as well, just as a final thing, is I know he should look like Michael because he's his son, but when he takes that helmet off and like he looks so much like a young Michael Schumacher as well, like there's been times when you've seen that and you're just like, you know, he has similar helmet design like when he drove at Mugello. Have to double take. Yeah, you almost, you know, like it it kind of rams home the fact that he is following his dad's footsteps, that he's, you know, got that iconic look about him. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited about it. Super excited to see it. Oh, man, my heartstrings have been pulled so hard today. That was tough. I don't even know, but that's getting me excited as well, for sure, um, to see them. And it will be soon, at least. Well, soonish. Anyways, let's head on over to Pooch Pouch. This is um, a fun segment that, of course, we had. and We did it a lot right before we even knew we had a season. Now that we have seen some action, guys, we'll just look back on exactly what's happened, see what like you like, what you don't like, you know, where strays. Um, I probably don't even have to go there. Actually, I'm quite interested to find out what you think is the worst race and see if Sochi actually just takes it there. But let's start off with... Probably, I feel like the answers might be predictable for this first one. Best circuit slash best race so far. And I mean, (laughs) I know everyone is still absolutely high off of Monza. So I think the right question would be, has Monza been your best race? Well, this thing, I was thinking about this topic before we started the show, and I assume that we'd both say Monza. And I think Monza, you know, is going to go down as one of the, the kind of the great races of this kind of last few years just because un- unexpected result unexpected podium but i was gonna just as an honorable mention throw the first two races in austria into the mix because we had 
two really dramatic races. You know, we had Lando getting the bit. That's where last lap Lando kind of came from, both those races. You know, the drama with Lewis and Albon. And I feel like both, the, you know, there was enough unpredictability about those races that kind of started the season on a nice way. I'm not saying they were better than Monza. I think Monza's the clear winner for me. But if I had to throw like a, a wild card in, um, I'd put either of those two in because they were a great way to start off. What was a massively delayed season and it kind of got the it got the, the heart rate flowing and got us really excited for what was to come. It did make us think that we were going to have such a wild, unpredictable 2020 season. And then we got brought back down to earth <laughs> shortly after. But Lawrence, how did you see Monza or that opening weekend, which really did get us all pumped up? No, I think it has to be Monza, doesn't it? Um, just because we've waited so long for a team other than the top three, uh, you know, traditional top three Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari to win a race. And we finally had it. And it went right down to the last lap. I think that's what was so thrilling about that race is that you started the last lap. You didn't know whether it was going to be Carlos Sainz getting his first race win or Pierre Gasly getting his first race win. And that is a brilliant position for the sport to be in. That's what, you know, we'd like to see a lot more of in the coming years when they make regulation changes and so on is to create more of those uh, kind of situations going into the last lap. Um, but if you were to ask best circuit so far, um, and this is very much so far, because we've still got some pretty good ones uh, to come, but best circuit so far for me was Mugello, um, because not only was it so incredible to watch cars around there, and a real reminder that a old school flowing circuit with gravel traps is one of the best, if not the best place to um, race Formula One cars, the racing was far better than I think anyone expected. And uh, there were some lessons to learn from it. And I think a lot of people talked about this afterwards. But while we may not go back to Mugello, there were definitely some lessons to learn on circuit design and what can work. Because everyone looked at that circuit on paper and they said, you know what, there's no chance that you'll see any overtaking. The corners are too fast and all this kind of stuff. And yet turn one, which was banked and uh, you know offered an inside line and an outside line, created some fantastic racing. So um, while the race itself probably wasn't quite as good as, um, as uh, Monza, it was a little bit more one-sided, just as a spectacle to watch cars at best circuit this year, by far for me is Mugello. I was going to say, and then uh, was you, you just agreed, Nate, right? Yeah, and I think Lawrence makes a great point about it being a good blueprint. I've always been a big advocate of there being kind of a wild card element to the season. And I really think that, you know, one thing that we could maybe take from this is that so far the new circuit has produced a great race. It's not always going to be the case, but I liked the fact that a lot of the drivers went there. The majority of them had never raced at Mugello. You know, they kind of had to learn as they went. And like Lawrence said, it punished them. And I think if we can have circuits where fan and fans got excited as well, like the first Friday, it was like, well, what is this circuit like? What do they look like coming through the corners? And when you get used to the same calendar, the same venues it's really nice to have a new one. So I'm excited for Portimao and I'm excited for Imola, seeing these cars go through through their Nürburgring as well. Like, you know, not all the guys would have raced there. So um, that just adds a bit of extra spice to it. So yeah, I would agree easily the best circuit, but it, it'll be interesting at the end of the season to see where Mugello stacks up versus the other new circuits. We've got Turkey as well coming back in. It'll be really interesting for us to revisit this and see which of those kind of new or returning circuits kind of kind of pips that prize, I guess. Yeah, I was going to ask that too, I mean, quickly before we move on, because I feel like after Mugello, a lot of, not just say the fans or say journalists like us, um, 
But even the drivers, a lot of them, after said, they kind of embraced that challenge that they faced, you know, and overall, it was obviously there's a lot of, you know, sentiment and history attached to Magella as a track just on a whole. But it was something, it was one that they would like to see on the calendar again next year. And I mean, Lawrence, maybe you could tell, I know you guys are not the F1 bosses, although you should be, my hearts. But well, I yeah, mean, what is the, not yet, you're right, exactly. But what is the likelihood of them at least, you know, listening to probably some of that and, and making Magello maybe a, at least not necessarily a mainstay going forward, but at least probably an option for next year? I think it's still unlikely. Um, the early drafts and speculation around next year's calendar uh, doesn't look quite as kind of unpredictable and dramatic Ooh. and go, going to new places. And, you know, the, the main reason for that is money. And you've got to remember, like, one of the main reasons we've had all these races crammed into this short period of time is money. Um, and this year and the coronavirus, anything that's gone with it has meant that one of the main ways that circuits make money, which is spectators going through the gates, was stripped away. And so they had to look at other ways of doing it. And really, it was about getting as many uh, races on the calendar as possible uh, to fulfil TV contracts. And with restrictions on travel, especially outside of Europe, F1 had to look inside of Europe for opportunities. And Mugello was one of them. So you know, no, no one can predict what's going to happen with the virus really going forward. Um, you know, there's lots of uh, fairly grim predictions out there as well at the moment. So who knows, maybe we'll get to the start of next year and actually we will be looking to more European venues. And I think that's the only way I could see some of these tracks uh, coming back on. And, uh, you know, that's maybe a possibility. But what F1 wants to do is go um, uh, go out. And I think at the moment they're looking to start the season in Bahrain, uh, and then try and do a Asia tour and kind of, you know, go to all those races which have already got contracts in place where they're paying big money into Formula One. You know, for, Formula One, uh, for, for, for all the excitement a race that Mugello creates, can't ignore that. And uh, that's also the basis of, you know, how all the money distribution goes, of how the teams stay afloat. So you can't blame Formula One for that either. But um, yeah, I think unless somebody's willing to stump up the cash uh, a Mugello, which would essentially be Ferrari, and I don't think they are. It was kind of a special one-off because of uh, the thousandth race. I don't see us going back there anytime soon, sadly. But you never know. There's a few, uh, few of the other ones. Turkey, uh, we haven't raced there yet, but they, they seem quite keen for a longer-term deal. Uh, the owners that are there now, so maybe uh, while it might not see all of these great circuits come back onto the calendar, a, a few choice ones might uh, look, look to take vacancies, and uh, if again, we see at the start of the year that, you know, we can't go to certain places, then that's a possibility. All right. Well, I'll get my hopes up same way as I always do anyways. For when you guys take over F1, as Nate said, not yet, but it may happen. Moving on now to another uh, category. I suppose this one is, this one could be a bit tricky. So do you know what? I'm just going to say, because it's for best driver. And I think we can just safely take Lewis Hamilton out of this because I know if we're going to go on the standings and the amount of <clears throat> podiums and whatnot, then obviously the the proper persons in us will choose Lewis Hamilton. But um, I suppose best driver could be relative in terms of progress that you've seen as well, in terms of maybe a little surprise too, even though we do have a most surprising driver category. But Nate, for you, taking Lewis Hamilton out, who's been your best driver? Well, follow the theme from the last question in that I think Pierre Gasly easily you know kind of takes this just given the start of the year that he's had um you know he's been unlucky actually since he won that that first race you know we, we were talking about the kind of the monza monza curse since he's won that he's not finished a race but he's done 
such a good job. And even if you take the, the great thing with him is even if he hadn't won that race, we were still before Monza. Everyone was kind of saying like, well, Gasly's been the standout guy this season, you know, just so fast. Some of it is kind of him showing Albon up even in a different car because he's often been racing with Albon, out qualifying Albon. But he's really, you know, we've, we've spoken about it time and time again. He's He's kind of, I guess, refreshed that narrative around him. People were like, well, did he just crumble under the pressure there? He's shown that clearly he deserved that chance at Red Bull, deserved a longer chance like Albon's getting. And um, yeah, I think that speaks volumes to how well he's done. And if you, you know, take Monza away, I think he would still be in the conversation. I think it would still be a bit, it would be a bit more of a debate there. Um, but that win, I think, just takes him over the edge. You know, Verstappen's been great. I think Daniel Ricciardo deserves a nod as well. But, you know, for me, that win in Monza just elevated Gasly up because we've never seen a performance like that. And um, it kind of went in line with where we were. So for me, easily him. And um, it's, you know, it, it would be a shame, actually, if Gasly kind of doesn't get a second chance next year with Red Bull. We're still not sure what will happen. But I think this year certainly warrants it. And I know we've talked a lot about what will happen there, but um, I'd love to see him get that second chance and maybe have a, have, you know, a second opportunity to win some more races at the front. Lawrence, what do you think? Um, yeah, my heart goes with Pierre Gasly because I think uh, it's been great to see him come back from what was such an awful start to 2019, those 12 races at Red Bull, and it looked like his career may be over. So great to see him come back. But if I'm running Lawrence Edmondson Racing and we're going racing next year and you just said you can have any driver on the grid apart from Lewis because he's tied up, I'm going for Max Verstappen, you know, based on this year and based in general. So I don't, you know, while Gasly's improvement has been very good and, you know, I think, yes, certainly an argument for most improved driver, best driver behind Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen. I don't think there's any doubt. You know, the fact that he uh, was basically Lewis's main, con you know, championship contender as well until he had some reliability issues which took him out of a few races says an awful lot as well. So, you know, we shouldn't forget that if Max had the car and if he had a reliable car, um, he would be taking the fight to Lewis um, even if the car wasn't quite on Lewis's level, or sorry, Mercedes' level, I think he'd still be taking the fight. And that is, um, you know, hard to argue against. So for me, best driver behind Lewis, because I think Lewis has been the best so far this year, Max Verstappen. Well, as we keep saying, Lewis, you know, is it a race and world championship of his own? Is him and Michael Schumacher's records? That's pretty much it. So we'll definitely have to take the statistics itself for this one. Do we want to just squeeze in probably an honorable mention again? Like I said, stats aside, um, an honorable mention probably for, for another best driver? Well, I like what I, I mentioned it. And, and again, this kind of comes down to the comparison of the teammate, but Ricardo's been super impressive this year, and there was a lot of hype around Ocon coming into That's the season. That's where I wanted you to go. That's where yeah. I wanted you to go. And, I'm glad you picked out. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Ricardo really has made that, it's really one-sided, that, you know, that kind of fight between the two of them. He's been on the cusp of the podium twice. Um, you know, and again, this is the thing with Formula One that you never quite know is, like, is Ocon underperforming or is Ricardo overperforming? Is it a bit of both? But you can only take the facts as they kind of appear. And I think um, it's been nice seeing Ricardo in some positions where he's been at a fight with other drivers, you know, for position, because we know how good he is at doing that. So, um, yeah, he'd be he'd be up there for me. Um, but I would clarify as well, like Verstappen has been super impressive. Um, but I, th I felt like I felt Lawrence would go would go max for Edmondson Racing. But, you know, if if Edmondson <laughs> Racing and Saunders Racing would, would be in a you know competition to get Max's signature, because I'd want that as well. Um, Love that. Maybe, but, but Ricardo would be my fallback option, you know, it, you know, if you're picking out and assuming you can't get Lewis. I'm still, a, you know, I'm still a huge fan of, of of what Ricardo can do, and um, yeah, I think quietly, 
you know, if you actually look at the, the standings, he's been really, really good this year. So yeah, he gets an honorable mention for me. Nobody's letting Nunez Racing get a nice little pick here because everyone's tied up Lewis and Max and Gasly get, now. And we're, we're assuming you've already signed Lewis. That's why he's off the market. You're, you're the one that's taking off. Lewis and Lando or Lewis and Leclerc or something. Oh, Lewis and Lando. How amazing would that be? be cool. I mean, to be fair, if it was Lewis and Charles, because then I call Litty Lewis and Litty Leclerc. So it would just be Litty Racing Limited right there. Done. <laughs> That's my that's my team right there. So, <laughs> but Lawrence, all right. So you've signed up on Edmondson Racing. You've signed up Max Verstappen. Who would your next seat go to? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, so, one honourable mention, which is very much honourable mention, is Danica Hulkenberg for the job he did when he came in at Racing Point. Gasping I thought that was Nate Saunders. I thought that was particularly <laughs> impressive. Um, yeah, re- regardless of Nate's long-standing relationship with him, but I think if I was choosing my teammates to go alongside him when I was thinking long term again Lewis is off the table I'd probably go with George he Russell off I, table. Lewis <laughs> off the table I, but I'd go with a man who may actually end up partnering uh, Lewis in a couple of years George Russell I think he's been uh, hugely impressive over one lap and um, his races have kind of sometimes got a bit lost along the way but he is in a Williams at the back trying to do remarkable things and you know battle against uh, well, we saw in Russia, he was battling against Lando Norris and Alex Albon and it was actually, okay, he didn't keep up with them, but he was holding his own for a few laps. Um, so I really want to see George Russell in a top team and assuming Lawrence Edmondson Racing is a top team next year, uh, I'd, I'd have him in there to, sh- to show what he's worth. We are the big three. We're the ones that the rest of the midfield yells at for having too much money and just making week in, week out boring, but it's okay. We don't care because we are the <laughs> we are the big three. But I, that's a huge point too. And, and Nate, I'll just ask for a comment for you on this one too, because again, George Russell, friend of the show. I mean, I, I think as well, he's just been consistently like really performing. That like, really just gets us kind of excited to to finally get to the day where we could see him in a Mercedes car and just think how high his ceiling really is, isn't it? Yeah, and I never thought I'd be so gutted to see a driver finish 11th, not 10th. You know, Magello, he was right there. And, and even Sebastian Vettel afterwards was like, look, George deserved to finish there ahead of me, which is pretty significant praise because drivers don't often go out of their way to kind of praise each other. So I saw somebody on Twitter, you know, there were people talking about how good Russell had been and someone was like, ah, oh, but in races he keeps slipping back. But as Lawrence kind of alluded to, he's constantly seeming to take that car and qualify out of position or not out of position, but above the position you would expect it to be so um yeah he's great and it would be great to see him in that car next year alongside lewis we obviously know it's not going to happen um so if if williams can make a step forward now under new ownership then maybe he gets a more competitive car in his hands next year but um it can't be bad prep for him you know alonso spent the start of his formula one career at the back so i think quietly he's going to be learning a lot of good things here and um yeah the the future's really bright for F1 because, you know, there's him, there's Lando, there's Albon, there's Gasly, you know, the, all these young guys coming through. And I think all of them are like equally exciting. And I'd say Russell probably takes kind of the, is the pick of the bunch out of those, if you if you were to ask me. There needs to be a new mainstay segment as well in our pod now that we've got our, our racing teams and see if next season, you know, we, if we see the likes of Mick Schumacher and whatnot come in, if we're going to yeah, <laughs> chuck out anyone. Well, I don't think I could chuck out Lewis Hamilton, that's for sure. But I, Lewis and Charles, I don't know how that would go because Charles has got a nice little bike to him as well. So we'll, um, oh, well, I guess better for, for Litty Racing Limited. But well, now I'm just trying to work out what color, <laughs> what color my car would be, what color Saunders Racing would be like. 
you know, do See, I go British racing green? Do I go a bit of Italian colors? You know, what like what? what my favorite color is red, but then I can't do that because obviously Ferrari, assuming Ferrari still in it, <laughs> because I mean, racing without Ferrari just seems weird. A world without Ferrari seems weird. So I'm gonna go with maroon, just to go with my little West Indies theme. Plus, I love red wine. So there, and my hair. So there we go. <laughs> All right. Well, next category, I suppose. This one's um. I mean, we've been talking a lot of positive, but I mean, we could we could throw shade where we need to. Worst race so far, uh, I suppose. Whether it's, I guess, the circuit you didn't like, or just whether you were bored out of your mind. And I know there is a couple of contenders for that one. So, Lawrence, which one did Lawrence Edmondson Racing not like? <laughs> so, might be slightly controversial. Probably isn't actually. But I'm gonna go with the Belgian Grand Prix because it was just a huge disappointment. Um, we go to Spa and we expect to see a good race, and. Uh, I can barely remember what happened in that race, but it was definitely a Mercedes 1-2. Uh, it came after a fairly dull race in Spain, and with Spain, you kind of expect it. And that was another contender for me. But yeah, to then go to Spa and it not really to kick off in the way that we'd hoped and the kind of promised rain never arrived and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, for me, um, slightly controversial, but Belgian Grand Prix. Nate? Yeah, I think that's fair, actually. And the thing is, like, Sochi wins this for me, hands down. But the, also, I think <laughs> I expect the Russian Grand Prix to be the worst every year. So when a race like Belgium doesn't deliver, it does kind of stand out. Spain was bad as well. I was actually kind of looking back through this before we did the podcast. And kind of, you know, it's always bad when you think about a race and you can't... And it was only a few months ago and you can't really pick out anything that happened in it. And um, yeah, I'd pick Sochi, but I, I think Lawrence made some good points about those other two. All right, fair play. Moving on now. This one as well, most surprising driver. Now, I suppose this could go both ways as well. Most surprising in a in a good way um, and most surprising in a bad way. I'll let you guys um, choose which narrative you want to go with or you can just give me both to be fair. So most surprising driver. Lawrence, who you got? Um, most surprising in a bad way for me is probably Valtteri Bottas because... As much as I'm sure lots of people expected his performance to be this way, but when he won that first race in Austria, I really thought, well, hang on a minute, you know, much like we did at the start of 2019, uh, I thought, you know, you never know. This could be the year where he starts to string it together. It's an unusual year. Um, but then uh, it just didn't come together. And I feel like he's been close on a number of occasions and maybe that shouldn't be such a surprise that he hasn't quite, quite, quite made the difference. But yeah, uh, so that's probably my... Um, yeah, my, my, my negative, most surprising. Positive, most surprising. Uh, we never give him much credit, but I'm going to say Lance Stroll, just because um, he's uh, sorted out some of the issues that he's had in previous years. Okay, he's had a much better car this year, but we were always concerned about his qualifying performance, and he had that horrible run uh, where he kept uh, getting knocked out in the first session of qualifying. And then this year, he's actually looked pretty competitive in qualifying, and he started to... Um, put it together in the races as well. Okay, he certainly could have done better in some situations. Monza, it feels like that could have been a win and then that would definitely put him up at the top of most surprising. But um, yeah, that, that, that's probably who I'd go for. Otherwise, it's more or less as you would expect, I would say. Um, maybe Alex Albon, a bit of a disappointment, but I'm going to hand over to Nate before I take up all the options. <laughs> I was yeah, I thought you were going to start rattling through my, my backup options there. Cause... <laughs> I was going to say, um, so Stroll it was second on my list for this. And I think that it's a really good point. You know, it's very easy to knock Stroll. You know, his dad owns the team and all this. And he's always had a lot of criticism. And until these last two races where, you know, he he's crashed out of the race through no fault of his own. Um, 
he was he was the best of the rest behind those top three. So he he has been doing a really good job, kind of quite quietly again, like Ricardo. But um, I would say for me, and maybe maybe it's kind of the the season's kind of tailed off a bit for him. But Lando Norris this year has been superb. You know, for someone going into a second season to start with a podium, I think is you know I think has potentially started to struggle alongside signs a bit more as we kind of expected. But the fact that he got that podium straight out of the gate at the first race and then he had that fourth position at the second race um i wasn't expecting that from him and that that big step that he made i think was really impressive and it came with a lot of maturity you could tell that he was you know he was thinking a lot differently he was from mclaren they were saying he was feeding things back to the team a lot differently and it just seems like he's grown up a bit you know and and the the, the jump between lando norris the rookie and lando norris the sophomore driver seems to be really big so um i'd pick him on the good one the bad one i've got to say i think is albon you know i, I I was hoping that Albon would take that step forward this year. Um, and at, after a few races, it's hard to keep defending him. You know, um, I think there's clearly some issues. There's clearly reason that talented drivers are going there and not able to compete. And that is Max Verstappen. I'm not saying anything negative. I think he's just an incredibly difficult benchmark to um, to go up against. But at the same time, you know, Albon hasn't shown huge improvements. Mugello, the podium was great. But then the next race, you know, he was back to kind of what seems to be the norm so that's been disappointing and um i was hoping that he'd be a lot closer this year all right most shocking podium now i mean i suppose that there's a a couple of contenders especially considering what nate just said about the way things are going for alex albon we probably thought it was just going to continuously get worse but he managed to pull one out we've seen last lap lando and that was absolutely brilliant and then i suppose the easiest one to go to would be pierre gasly too um but for you guys what was your most shocking podium lawrence um well there's yeah the obvious ones in monza which that was an overall shocking podium all three places were, were, were quite a shock um but the other one i think when you start to look at it uh retrospectively is also charles leclerc getting on the podium you know i mean if you look at how bad that ferrari's been like if someone was, was to say to you now at the next race ferrari's going to be on the podium you'd be like really i'm not sure about that so that would be a shock but obviously at the time it didn't seem like such a shock because we were still kind of used to Ferrari should be a bit higher up and we didn't maybe quite realise how bad the situation was there. So, um, yeah, I, I think the obvious ones are, of course, you know, Pierre Gasly at the top of a podium. That is the biggest shock uh, that anyone could have expected going into this year. Nate, that's yeah. your main driver. <laughs> and Nate's yeah, Lawrence, on this racing. <laughs> Lawrence stole both my answers there, so um, I agree. <laughs> I think, and, and, and if you think about... Um, Austria none of us were talking about Ferrari being anywhere so for Leclerc to have been second there was I know there were circumstances around it with Lewis and stuff but yeah it was just such a shocking uh, performance so I think he deserves a mention but no one's ever going to forget Gasly sat at the top of that Monza podium mm -hmm. that was really special and final category, I suppose this one could definitely be an obvious answer, but we'll see if, you know, you guys have another narrative. Most <laughs> disappointing team. And I suppose at the start, we could have said, yes, Ferrari. But then maybe, like you said, for, if we go back to, again, January and stuff, when we were discussing this, um, Lawrence didn't really have a good forecast for them anyway. So they might not have disappointed you then because you already were expecting disappointment but i suppose most disappointing team for you is it ferrari and why <laughs> uh it, it is ferrari because um even with those forecasts of what might happen we still thought they were going to finish third it might have been a distant third they might have been um under attack from some of the midfield teams but we didn't expect it to be this bad and for you know the results they had 
in Spa, uh, Italy and Mugello, a period of races which was really meant to be celebrating Ferrari on the build-up to their 1,000th race. It was just uh, really dire. So um, I don't think anyone can argue that. Sorry, Nate, I've just stolen the obvious answer again. Yeah, <laughs> Over no, to I mean, you. <laughs> it's fine. I, I don't mind repeating it. You know, I've said it plenty of times before when you have a veto, when you've been paid you know i mean it's if 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 you do the estimates in the last decade they were paid close to a billion dollars by f1 just to turn up and race you know to be a, you don't have to win championships but to be as far off the pace as they are i think it's pretty embarrassing so and at the start of the season we were all just like they'll be a distant third you know and they've actually broken what the norm of f1 of what we'd come to expect of it being the top 3 and the rest for i've been so bad that that's just become the top 2 and then a midfield, and then Ferrari kind of just below, you know, just in the cusp of like the bottom end of that midfield, which you know takes some doing. I think like it's actually that's that's actually more impressive than if a team had jumped to the top of the order. I think because you've you've taken such a step back. We know the reasons behind it with the engine panel, the um, sorry, the engine uh, settlement and stuff like that. But you know, massive massive uh, back step for them. Um, and given their given their name, given the prestige behind them, it's just it's unbelievable. So yeah, Ferrari, one hundred percent of the way. Cool, that was a nice little dive into uh, a refresher of Pooch Pouch. And now let's revisit the Pooch Pouch predictions that you guys had earlier on at the start. See, we're going to give you a chance to, to, I suppose, change them up if you want. Now that, you know, we have been subjected to a couple of wild surprises that some could not have predicted. And then other things may have been going more predictable than we thought anyway. So let's start off with um verstappen or charles leclerc to get more race wins nate you went with charles yep um i think we've we got to replace wins with podiums there because we know ferrari won't, won't win a race um <laughs> but clearly leclerc's the you know performing the better of the two so i think that's that's aged quite well yep indeed uh championship winner lawrence <laughs> I find this so funny but Lawrence you went with Lewis shock but you said quote I think Bottas will be closer this year I don't know why I read it like a robot I love that I love that like like this year is the finally the year that broke Lawrence the Bottas like fan you know like he was still in January like clinging on like Bottas will be better we'll be right there well steady steady on because there's an argument coming here um, there is a chance that he will be closer this year. Um, if, okay, Lawrence. If the trend continues the way it is, he's 44 points off now. Uh, if he can get an odd win somewhere else, um, then there's potential that he'll actually take the championship closer to the final round than he did last year. Because last year, remember, it was wrapped up at the US Grand Prix fairly early. So, yes, there is a chance that he will be closer, on points at least. Will it be close in the traditional sense of a close championship battle? No, I was wrong. But, you know, I'm, I'm forever an optimist. And I think if at the start of the year we'd all turned around and said Lewis is going to blow everyone away, then we probably wouldn't bother tuning in. Wow. <laughs> but this is the year that Lawrence, the Bottas fan, was broken indeed. Oh, so many things have happened in 2020, and that's one. It's okay, Lawrence, we're here for you. Shock podium now. Um, Nate, you went with Sergio Perez. And Lauren, well, you went for Sergio Perez in Monaco. Obviously, we did not get a Monaco because COVID decided to rain on our parade. And Lawrence, you went for Lando Norris in Baku. So, Nate, <laughs> comments. And if you want to, you probably might want to change it. I mean, change the location, obviously. But Sergio Perez, you never know. Yeah, it's interesting now looking at that because in, in both of our answers, we, we clarified on a street circuit. We were like, there's no way anybody else is going to get a podium or have a good chance of one 
because again, at the start of the season, we were like, well, there's three teams fighting for those three positions and it will take remarkable circumstances. So the fact that we've had a bunch of surprise podiums kind of, you know, speaks to the fact that there's been, there's been a bit more jeopardy at the front, you know, that mm. Ferrari dropping out has opened up that opportunity for other teams. Um, and Perez, if he hadn't missed those two races at Silverstone, you wonder, uh, you know, if we were talking about them getting the podium there and Hulkenberg maybe getting it. That might have been a, a, a place where uh, Perez kind of got it. I hope he gets it before the end of the season, bef before obviously being binned by Racing Point. It'd be a nice way to turn around and kind of, you know, show them like, hey, like, you know, you're replacing me with Vettel, but here's what I can do. So I'll keep that there. I, I don't think it would be a surprise now, but I'd like yeah. Perez to get that podium. Do you want to do you want to give us a hint as to where you may think he could podium? Because I still think you're right. I mean, Perez for a podium is still a good shout, especially now with an extra point to prove. Well, yeah, I think and I think one of the new circuits, you know, Stroll was really in the running in Mugello. And um, so, you know, you go to a place like Portimao, Imola, Turkey. The unknown factor is what has has created a lot of these podiums, you know, adding something new into the mix. So we'll see. Racing Point clearly very competitive still. Um, so hopefully one of those circuits springs up a, you know, a nice result, a good surprise for them. Lawrence, your surprise, your shock podium was Lando Norris in Baku. We already got that like super quickly, which was brilliant. So congrats, your prediction came true. Um, I probably You probably don't need to change it. Um, but hey, if you want to go for another potential podium for Lando, then the floor is yours. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, I, I'm very happy that Norris got a podium. I, I think that's great. Um, so, so early in the, in, the, in the season as well. Um, but uh, McLaren kind of dropped off a bit towards the end of this year. And uh, if I were to start again from this race forward and put a podium prediction out there, I'd say Ricardo and the Renault uh, to get one because they've looked increasingly competitive. So um, while I'm, I'm banking my Norris podium that I got uh, straight away, I I'll say Ricardo to kind of double or quits. Love that. Love me some Danny Rick. I'm still waiting for a Danny Rick podium. Nate knows because I message him every weekend going, come on, Danny, give us that podium. How many race wins did you guys predict for Valtteri Bottas? Nate went with three and you're not really far off, to be fair. So you could get it. I hope I've just not jinxed Valtteri anymore now, but definitely on on course. I think so. Yeah, I, I can see him getting one more. Um, and then we'll hear him say to whom it may concern again, I guess. But um yeah, three. I think <laughs> three. I think is fair. Um, maybe we'll another get one. you and JM back on to just yeah. <laughs> sledge him again. And JM, like, Bro, yeah, James not been seen in public since then. He's not going <laughs> to go outside. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, three. I'll, I'll stick with three. I think he'll get one more. Fair enough. Does the championship battle go to the last race? Lawrence said yes. We already know. <laughs> so <laughs> optimistic. Answer to that one. Oh, Lawrence, I loved your optimism. Sebastian Vettel staying at Ferrari. Nate says he stays, and Lawrence agrees. Oh, how the tables have turned. <laughs> but to yeah. be fair, it was hard to predict that, wasn't it? It did, and because every indication we had from Ferrari was that Vettel was the man, you know, and it, it, when it did kind of that week that it came out that they dropped Vettel and it was very quickly kind of announced that science came in so yeah it did kind of come out of the blue some people in the paddock did predict it that he'd leave but it seemed very unlikely at the start of the year well the funny thing is we were actually predicting that he would leave at the end of 2019 and there was so much kind of drama around that basically kicking off well it went, it went back a long way but it kicked off after that Brazil weekend didn't it where Leclerc and um, Vettel clashed on track and so we all, we all said well they can't continue like that Beyond that, Leclerc will be the guy they go with. And then Ferrari, they did kind of, you know, talk us around and say, well, no, 
uh, Vettel's our man. You know, we're going to go him first with the contract. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not considering anyone before we offer Seb a contract. And that was a lie. So, um, yeah, <laughs> there you go. You lied to us. Oh, like all the men in my life. Moving on, though. Danny Ricardo to move. Because, of course, we were speculating if he would stay at Renault or not. And Nate said he would move to McLaren. And Lawrence said he would stay at Renault. Now we know he's definitely going to McLaren. So virtual high five, Nate. Thanks very much. Okay, but, but here's another question. Oh, here if, he is. Here he is. <laughs> if you were in his shoes now, where would you rather be next year? Renault or McLaren? I think it's a good question. Um, well, would he want to be at Renault alongside Fernando Alonso? Is a good question in itself. I don't uh, think I don't think they would have brought in Alonso if they yeah, kept true. Ricardo there. That's very true. But um, I don't know. It's it's really difficult to work out with with Renault because we've seen glimpses from them this year, and I really I really like what McLaren have done with Seidel there. So I think I would still go McLaren, based on who Zach Brown's brought in. He's clearly the team is kind of on a better trajectory, but. Yeah, it's a bit like we, we keep asking science, like, do you regret the Ferrari move? I think that question by the end of the year will be valid to Ricardo. You know, have you have you potentially moved at the wrong point when this team's finally kind of coming good? But right now, I wouldn't be. But if if they do get a podium, he might be like, well, have I have I made a, a mistake? Yeah, I only put that question out there because I don't really know the answer either. Um, because you look at McLaren, they've got Mercedes engines next year. That should be a step forward. But then uh, my concern with McLaren, if I was... In Ricardo's shoes would be um, the financial issues they've been going through, uh, the loans they've had to pull out, the fact they've had to sell their, uh, or they're looking to sell their factory and uh, lease it back, stuff like that, um, you know, would make me a little bit concerned. Whereas now it looks like Renault um, are committing certainly for the uh, medium term, really the long term. And, uh, you know, I've got a new strategy behind it, changing the name. So I'm starting to wonder whether as a long term bet, uh, you know, Maybe maybe Renault's a better option. Interestingly, if you'd asked us both at the start of the year, what should Ricardo do? We probably would have said, if he had any choice, it would be go to Ferrari. And now I think we probably both agree that that yeah. wouldn't be ideal going forward. But um, yeah, there you go. So next one we asked, who do you guys think would finish fourth? Um, and this was because we just assumed that Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari would occupy the first three spots. But we didn't expect things for Ferrari to be this bad, which now opens up the third place position kind of up for grabs. We know that McLaren are currently occupying that spot in the Constructors' Championship. So, Lawrence, you had said Renault for fourth. Do you want to revisit that and let me know who you think probably will finish third as well? It's really hard to um, to guess at the moment because they're so close. Uh, Ren- uh, McLaren is on 106 points in third, racing point 104 points in fourth, and Renault on 99 points. So they're all in it. And based on current form... I would probably stick with Renault, but I think Racing Point have a better car across all types of circuit. So I don't know whether we've just had a run of circuits which have particularly suited the Renault. We know Sochi certainly did. Um, So I'd probably go with Racing Point if I could start from a blank canvas. But because I chose Renault from the start, I'm going to stick with them. I would pick Racing Point. I think um, the last two races, they lost a handful of points for Stroll going out on both occasions, which would have given them a bit of a bit of breathing room, I think, over McLaren. But I, I agree, Renault have been really impressive recently, and I agree that the Racing Point car we've kind of agreed is probably the best um, in the midfield, you know, on a on a on an average circuit. So I'd pick them, but hopefully it stays that close because we rarely see a bunch of teams going for one position mid-season. Usually it's kind of starting to spread out at this point. So. Um, I'd pick Racing Point, and then if I had to pick the fourth, probably Renault. 
over McLaren. And the, the, the other thing we should note about those standings I just read out is that was minus the 15 points racing point mm. lost for the brake duct controversy earlier in the year. So um, really, it is all kind of uh, going towards racing point, probably taking that third place and deservedly so. Speaking of um, racing points, I guess, and in the same vein that you guys are talking right now, for most overachieving team, Lawrence said racing point, Nate agreed. So you guys sticking with that? Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because in terms of where the car is and how competitive the car is, yes, they've overachieved. But in terms of getting the best results out of that car, I feel like they've actually underachieved a bit. And you could make a case for either saying McLaren or Renault have overachieved given the car. So it depends how you're looking at it. If you're looking at it as where you expected the team to be on the 1st of January, probably Racing Point have overachieved. But if you look at it from the first race of the season, I'd say they've actually underachieved based on the quality or the pace of that car, at least. Yeah, I'd agree. And then finally, most disappointing team, Lawrence and Nate, both went with Ferrari. And obviously that definitely has come to light uh, for all the reasons that we continuously talk about on the show. But Nate, you also chucked in Haas as well. Um, yep. are they, have they disappointed you as much as you expected them to? Yeah. And I think the reason I said this was because pre-season, there were just, there were some, you know, some kind of red lights about the team and how confident they were going into the year. And I was hoping they'd kind of, push themselves back towards that midfield that we saw them in in 2018 and um yeah they've just not really been anywhere if you actually you know we know Williams are the back of the pack but Haas have just been you know really been nowhere I think if it wasn't for Kevin Magnussen in Hungary they wouldn't have a single point to their name so it has been quite disappointing and also when there's a midfield that's been kind of as close as this and we've seen a midfield team win a race we've seen a bunch of midfield teams score a podium I think it's even more disappointing because if they'd even just, you know, taken a slight step forward, they might have been there in a position where they might have capitalized on some of that, um, some of that chaos of the season. So, yeah, I would stick with that. Um, I don't think it's disappointing as um, Ferrari, but still, um, yeah, kind of a, what might have been season had they got things together. Thanks. Well, that brings us to the end, I suppose, of our show today. I had a nice little look back at all our Pooch Powders predictions and whatnot. We even formed our own Formula One teams and, and <laughs> got our seats in order. So um, that's really been an exciting episode. I hope everybody did enjoy that. And feel free to I mean, get in touch with us and tell us what your probably highlights or lowlights of the season has been so far. We'll be back doing it again. Come next week when we look ahead to everything that should happen in Germany. I feel like it's an exciting weekend or what promises to be an exciting weekend. We'll see exactly what happens indeed. But that's a wrap for us today. Thank you guys for listening and catch you again next time.